I spoke at Wheaton College. I don't get asked back. And, and my daughter graduated. It's a great place. I was talking about this topic, and I said, you know, they tell you when you graduate, graduate from college, get a great job, get a great wife, move to a great neighborhood. And I say, you're three for four there, right? Graduate, get a great job, get a great spouse, move to a bad neighbor. Because if it's a good neighbor, it doesn't need you. Welcome to Stay and Fight, a podcast about extraordinary Illinoisans who have made profound impacts in their communities, and who despite all the issues in this state, are dedicated to staying here and fighting for its future. I'm Matt Paprocki, president of the Illinois Policy Institute. And on today's episode, we bring you Bob Muzikowski. For 34 years, Bob and his family have lived in challenging so-called bad neighborhoods in Chicago, where they felt called to make a difference. There, they've built inner city little leagues, including the largest one in the whole country, and eventually, Chicago Hope Academy, a private Christian school where 100% of the students receive need-based scholarships, and all of them graduate high school. None of this is normal, and Bob isn't either. He's one of the most genuine and raw people you'll ever meet. Let's get started. Bob grew up in the blue-collar neighborhood of Bayonne, New Jersey, right across the bay from Manhattan. His neighbor down the street was Chuck Wepner, the Bayonne bomber, who went the distance with Muhammad Ali, knocked Ali down in the eighth round, got 150 stitches, but finished the fight. Sylvester Stallone saw the fight and was inspired to write Rocky in three days. But Bob said, there's five other guys in the block who could have beaten up Chuck. It's that kind of neighborhood. So Bob grew up rough and did things like sneak alcohol into Boy Scout trips and shampoo bottles. But his partying went to a whole other level when he went to Columbia University for grad school. Yeah, I went to, and I'm a guy who, you know, a crazy night might be four beers, right, before that. And so, but I'm running a club and my, my mother was an alcohol, I have big alcoholism in my family, deadly, right? And so, um, you know, I'm closing a bar at night and I, I guy, Art Hongsako, who's become a friend, he got sober. Uh, first time I ever did cocaine. <laughs> He's a lawyer now. I hope I don't get him this barred. He's in Texas. So, uh, which is typical Colombia, a Bayonne guy with a Prince of Taiwan, right? That's cl- I love that. So um, two years behind me was McGreevy, the governor of New Jersey, who left his wife for a guy. Uh, George Stephanopoulos, who wrestled. And Governor Patterson, who replaced Elliot Spitzer, the blind African-American guy, were all in that class two years behind me. And Obama. So Art came up to me. I'm work. It's two in the morning. I'm dog tired. I got class. And he said, do you look tired? Try this. Cocaine. So I tried it. And I stayed up and studied. It's a stimulant. And the next night, he was back and I tried it. And the third night, I said, is it cheaper if we get a lot of that? Because <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> so I had to run with that. It's just an insidious drug. What did what'd you do this weekend? I spent $500. What did you do? I sat around and felt nervous. That's basically what it is. At least the pot people are laughing, right? And the drunks are happy. So I streaked with that. You know, wouldn't do it for a month, playing at a high level of rugby at the time. I'm working for, in the daytime after graduate school, I, I got my master's degree and I worked for Mayor Koch for the city. So I get involved, I'm playing rugby. And a guy's thrown out of the game for fighting. This is in Randall's Island, New York. 
The great thing about rugby, there's an A game, the first side, and if you have more guys, there's a B, and if you have more guys, there's a C. So everybody's gonna play, right, in a game. And so in the B game, BJ Weber, who's a shepherd of Times Square, I didn't even know, is thrown out of the game for fighting. He's a, he's a minister, I love this, right? So I used to put the Coke in a little uh, kitty thing with a straw in it, so like you have for your kid that he won't spill a, a drink. Like, you know the sippy cups? Oh, I'm very so familiar, yeah. I'm using them present day. Yeah, because if, if you're driving along and you have a sippy cup and a cop pulls you over, he's he not gonna figure that. So I offered it to BJ on the sideline, because yeah, I'd already played my game, and he's turned down, he gave me his card. BJ, what, Lamb's Church, Times Square. So I go to the church. And that hung over, and then just like a dare, right? Because I'm so arrogant. I went, and the people are now, I'd not been in a non-Catholic church before for service. And so they're into this. And the people are calling for a fair catch when they're singing. They're into it. And so I'm, and then they, everybody ate afterwards, like homeless people and normal families. And, uh, and I'm like, what? Are you guys seeing us? I'm sitting next to them, right? This guy next to me really smells, and this couple's in really nice clothes. <laughs> so that's church like it should be. It was the Lamb's Nazarene Church on 130, and, a, and Times Square then was crazy, right? So I started to go down there, and was, they had a youth thing, and I went down there to help the kids once. And I'm doing my Jekyll and Hyde thing, and Friday, Saturday night, I'm drinking, doing Coke and all that kind of stuff. So I went, they invited me to the presidential prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. So they're like the cutting edge. It's a big deal to get invited to this, but they're like the cutting edge urban thing, right? And it was, uh, I forget the guy's name. He wrote something, a famous book about Times Square. And, and so that, there was a lot of movement to help people. So I go, I get invited, I go, and when we get down there, I go, give me my ticket, I'll meet you guys tomorrow. So I go out drinking, fight breaks out in the bar. They're beating up this long haired kid. So after six drinks, like I'm Spider-Man, so. I hit the first bouncer. Not, it's not even my fight, I don't know anybody there. It, it was North Carolina playing Maryland, it was College Park, Maryland, and the place had bouncers. I'm, when I got there, I'm like, why do you have bouncers? There ain't nobody here. So Maryland no, playing North Carolina across the street. This is 84, so Jordan might've been playing, right? He might've. So it packs out, because it's the place you go after the game, and I got big bouncers, and they kicked this long hair and tapped it up. So I jump in a fight, guy breaks a Heineken bottle, bounce and puts it, puts it right through my hand. I caught it, would have been. And so I got a Heineken bottle embedded in my hand and I grabbed a beer mug and put his face on the other side of the room. <laughs> Boom. So in, cops, handcuffed, ambulance, two guys in an ambulance. And I go to Prince George's County Jail, which is like bad. They didn't have a toilet, I made a hole on the floor. That was your bathroom. And so BJ, I had one phone call to a buddy in New York who found BJ was down and he finds some rich guys to bail me out. $100,000 bail, assault with intent to maim, battery, malicious destruction of property. And they bailed me out. So you had, they had to come up with 10 cash. And I bailed 20 people out in the, over the years and you have to have 10% of cash. So if they don't run away, you get your 90% of your money back. Even if they're innocent, you lose 10% of your money for being a good guy. So, and I end up, Pleading no low contender, I end up paying this guy for his $500 a month for five years for his scar. So I come back to New York after it, and I get a call from an old drinking buddy, Dave Vidiello. I just had breakfast with him. And um, he says, let's go out tonight. Meet me on 7. I, I want you to come with me tonight, 86th Street in Lex. So I'm like, Dave, I just quit drinking. I got in this fight. I'm in trouble. He goes, no, no, meet me. So I go there, and it's AA. And he didn't tell, I didn't know it was going to be an AA meet. So I end up in a basement of 79th Street, 79th Street Workshop in, in New York City. And they still have it. 
And uh, at one point, the guy read, we made a decision to turn our will and our life over the care of God as I understood him, as we understood him, which was what I had done outside of the jail, because I prayed with BJ and Pat Rowan and Brad Curl outside the jail. I was a mess, and on it, to be fair, I told BJ, if you guys were worshiping Bhagwan and you bailed me out of jail, I would have gone with that. <laughs> so I'd like to think, you know, but anyway, they were just doing it. They were just serving. They didn't have to do that. I didn't know them that well. So, and now I talk to him every week for 30 something years. So, anyway, he's struggling too. He got cancer. He's really battling. So, which I do too. So, anyway. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, we got, I got, yeah, stage three melanoma. And I, you know, just had a good report. So, I'm battling. So, um, but I, I feel good. Like, you I, look great. I just worked you look out. great. I just, I just worked out. So, uh, yeah, you just don't get fat and eat right. So, anyway. He's on the board of Chicago Hope, and I started going to church with him, all new for me. Ended up in Bolivia for a while with Father William Wilson, who had led BJ to the Lord, and I had a ministry down there. And I had a baby die in my arms the first week I was there from dysentery. So I really, my thoughts were, I'm gonna be a Christian, we're gonna sing these old songs, it's gonna be boring, and, and now I'm helping the priest in Bolivia. Right. So, it, you know, we made sure it wasn't boring. So if you actually do it, it's not boring, right? So, and I'm not all that, right? I got a thousand cents. So I went back into business because my friend, I went to the financial market. So I was working for Ed Cott. I wasn't, I didn't make any money yet. But I had friends that played football at Columbia. All of it, they're in these big houses in Westchester and they're 28. I'm like, what, did, what do you do? <laughs> and they were in the financial market. So I went in with Northwestern Mutual, I started. And then we started a company, Benefit Planning Inc. Still have it. Bob married his bride, Tina who had more of a normalish background, and they decided to move to Chicago to have a fresh start, away from all the trauma, but unknowingly moved next to Cabrini Green, which had a whole lot of trauma. The now torn down housing project was one of the most notorious in the whole country. In 1989, a year after they moved, CBS's report on it said, picture a no man's land with broken windows, dark abandoned buildings, and no law and order, there are carefully demarcated areas controlled by rival bands of armed militia overseeing the rubble. Almost every night there's sniper fire. It sounds like Beirut, but in fact, it's America. Yeah, we moved to the wrong neighborhood by mistake. That's newlyweds. We moved two blocks, maybe I guess we were about three blocks from Cabrini Green on North Park Avenue. And there was a ball field on the corner that you dead end into on Division and Sedgwick called Carson Field, named after Fred Carson, who was a police officer killed there. Weeds were, you know, knee high. I just kept passing that field. I kept passing two baseball diamonds and thousands of kids were everywhere. People had seven, eight, nine kids, right? And kids were everywhere. And there was nobody on that field. And that two diamonds, you could tell it was a ball field at one point. So when I, and I saw this gentleman, Al Carter, out there playing. He's a local community guy playing with some kids. And, but not enough. Not, you know, we probably had seven or eight kids, you know, playing ball out there at the time. So I started to hang out with him. And then we got a lot more kids. I had my assistant make a bunch of, I bought gloves and bats. It doesn't take much, right? And so we didn't have any kids yet. I said, put these flyers up. We tape them to the telephone poles, literally try out Saturday at 10. And we could have a team if we get seven or eight more boys and about 300 kids showed up. So we had to scramble around <laughs> and get a bunch of coaches. I got 
filled 30 long stem rose boxes with Little League bats and sent them to anybody I knew that liked And I don't know that many people here that I'd only been here two years that liked baseball and said, invited them to an event at the local place after, you know, inside of Batman. So everybody showed up and I said, I need you to sponsor a team for $1,500, but you got to coach it. You can't just give money. You got to get somebody to coach it. So the senior guys made their young guys too. <laughs> But we didn't really plan it. It was just God is leading and just, you know, he's, okay, do this. And then we just kept following what we thought was loving our neighbors ourselves. Baseball had nothing to do with it. It just happened to be the game, right? Because it was an article. I was on an article in Sports Illustrated maybe 20 years ago about the vanishing black player. Because the, the Dominicans have have more players, the, the Latin Venezuelans, than African-American. Although it's making a, there's a comeback now. And they asked me, why? No money, no fields. And I said, and I said, you got to print it or don't quote me. It's a father taught game. It's a slow game. You got to have a catch. You know, it's not like basketball where you get immediate gratification. And so usually the person who teaches you that game is your father, or your grandfather. And if you don't live with them or know them, you ain't going to play that game, right? Unless somebody intercedes, which was the little league. One of the great things about the league was there were the most, the bane of little league sports, hockey, Baseball are interfering parents. Put my son in. Why isn't my son pitching? <laughs> because I want to lose. He's great, but I just want to lose. You know, coach Dawn. If your son was all that, you, he'd be pitching, all right? But we don't have any of that because we have hardly any tad. So, like, the, we didn't have much parental interference. Everybody's happy to just be out there, right? And uh, and it, and I, all the God's blessing this whole thing. The fact that with all the shooting on night tower, I mean, we, we, they would be popping off during the night. I remember Bill, Bill, I'm up in a game here, and he's up in the other field. So two diamonds, and you hear him pop, 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 and he he calls timeout, and he, we're meeting in center field between the two diamonds, and he says, you know, it's getting a little heavy. You think maybe we should call it like it like it was rain. So, and that season, a couple of boys were killed. Brian Dixon, a kid we had, was killed. Um, we're really close to him. They killed we. My friend made a beautiful bicycle for him, rehabbed his old bike, and they killed him for his bike. Can you tell me that story? Because you do tell that. So Brian Dixon used to come in in a pretty torn up bike, right? Yeah, so then you guys Yeah, he rode on the rims. He didn't have tires. So, uh, and Bill Vranos, this doc guy, was an orthopedic residency, and he's coaching out there. Like, he's kind of busy, right? But he played for Boston College. He's a big, so he coached with me. And so uh, he'd stay over their house a lot and uh, – you know, almost special ad, borderline. In the newspaper, I was his troubled life. He was like a little goofy kid, right? And so that was tragic because they, Bill mainly got him this bicycle and um, they ended up killing him for it. He was arguing over his bike. So, which is insane, right? Like, oh, somebody wants your bike so they kill you, right? Uh, whose fault? Is that Trump's fault? Like, what? <laughs> so, or anybody, you know, is anybody else's fault except the guy that pulled the trigger or his dad who hadn't showed up for the last 15 years? So it was, it was several kids were killed, but nobody on the field. So there were some fights on the field. I remember a guy coming with a crowbar going after it. And, um, you know, because it was right in the middle of crazy. It, we kind of were better people then because we were Christians and like didn't, we had no fear. Right. And we were too dumb to know. So you have this moment, you write about it in uh, your amazing book, Safe at Home, where uh, this kid gets shot and you're in your car and you find out. You're on, you're on the expressway. Can you tell that story? And specifically, why at that moment do you say, I'm going to keep fighting this fight? Because that's that's a pretty tough break. Yeah, so his, um, and at that time, we were a couple, because Ike was a baby, so we were a couple years into it. And so um, 
this might have been about three years into the league. So um, I, his grandmother called me look, looking for him because he didn't come home. And then she called me because the cops came and told her he was killed. So I picked her up and went to the morgue. So a lot of the kids live with their grandparents. They you know, do a better job the second time. And there's some great, wonderful grandparents out there. So, uh, and I had went to the morgue with her. So I went in there with her. It was pretty tough. Um, little hole in the front, big hole in the back. Uh, then I drove her home and um, hung out a little bit. And then we had to plan for the funeral because nobody, there's like no one, it's chaos, right? So, uh, and when I'm driving home, I just pulled over and go, had a fight with my car. <laughs> I didn't win. I beat my car up. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. And then, you know, the, but, you know, then you have a game. That was at the end of the season. So we didn't have games then until the next uh, practice again until late March, early April. But um, I, that gave me more intensity about it, you know. We're the Jesus gang. We're not afraid of the vice lords of the gang. Those stupid names, right? We're the biggest, baddest gang in the world. We're afraid of these little punks. I mean, they got guns, so our families are, you know, like the Little League. Struck. People don't want, don't want their kid to come out. They're afraid for their kids that go out, right? And rightfully so. But I think there's a really interesting moment that's happening right now in Chicago where you see there's a higher level of crime. And then you hear about this crime and then everybody says, we're getting we're getting out of here. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. Right. And they're 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 moving. Right. We, we lead sure. the country in out migration. You had a you had a friend and a kid get shot and killed. And you said, I'm going to be more invested in this than ever before. Yeah. Uh, and that's really what's, but I moved to the wrong neighborhood by mistake. It isn't, I, I didn't like plan to go help and people will lay that rap on me like you're white. Here. No, I'm not. If they, I'm here to love my neighbor. If they were Afghanistani people, I'd help them. If they're black, they happen to be black. If they're white, they I, don't, I don't care what color. So, and I understand the history and I, I get all that. But um, so, you know, and then when you show up a lot for a couple of years, people let let go of that, right? What are you doing here? And then when you show up for 31 years in a row, he must mean it. <laughs> and there are a lot of good people like that in the city doing great things, and it hardly ever gets in the paper. What did make the paper is that when Bob eventually built a house in East Garfield Park, where violent crime is 805% greater than the national average, he also built a little league there too, the Near West Little League, which became the largest inner city league in the whole country. And the league still now, it's smaller, but it's even, there's a prayer before every game at home play. That's just the way it is, right? And I know in the beginning, so we had border trade guys, and I know there's some guys whose eyes were rolling when we did it, but with everything going on around us, we're going to say a prayer before, right? We'll take that spiritual surrounding blessing for sure. So, and it's still like that, and that's just the way it is. And everybody kind of was down with it because this is, I grew up Catholic. This is a big Catholic city, Chicago, and the Catholics don't care what you say. They watch what you do. And that's it. So um, that's and, and that and our coaches weren't. Most of them had were faith based guys, but a lot of them weren't. And they kind of caught the idea, right? But they couldn't. They can't argue with what we're doing. So and it was a lot of fun. Like I'll bump into a, every now and then, bump into somebody downtown who used to coach in the league, right? And it's a different handshake than if we played golf together. It's like a different hug. Hands just different because we did something good together, and it's a you know it's a good memory. Any stories any of the kids stick out to you that joined your little league? Uh, Kenji Connolly was in my first team. He's a athletic director for a high school in Ohio. 
keep in touch. Good father with the, he married somebody and then had kids. <laughs> and uh, I mean, a lot of stories like that. Larry Davis was on my first team. He owns a couple of restaurants down in Georgia. This John Garcia kid, I, you know, he's unreal. His parents didn't finish high school. He went to Princeton. Graduate in four years. You know, these kids need a hand. They don't need a hand out. You need a hand up, right? Willie Noggles was a great player. I haven't seen him in a while, but he was ended up at the Board of Trade. His co coach, Mike Edwards, got him a job. That was the big thing. We don't need a government program. You need a connected neighbor. You need somebody who's going to get you a job. So if I'm, if I'm your roommate in college, and many years later, your son coming to Chicago looking for a job, I'm going to talk to him about it. I'm going to help him, right? And often the kids, because of broken, they don't have that. You started, when you built your house, you built it as somewhat of a halfway house. Yeah, we had the ground floor apartment, which we helped guys. Some great stories in there. Sam Sam Dillon was head of the Blackstone Rangers, did like 15 years in prison, and he gets out. So Al Carter asked me, could I take Sam? So I had lunch with him, articulate, sharp guy, right? With a pronounced stutter and a list like Tyson, right? And he was jacked up. Right, and I was then probably 33. Then Sam was about 40, 45, maybe. So I told him about my bar fight, my couple days in prison, trying to relate. I said, what did you go in for? He goes, uh, I had a, a murder, a second degree, because I was in a fight. He goes, actually, I killed around about 20, but they just got me on the one. <laughs> so, so, but he's born again, like, and I could feel him. So he moved in. Uh, and then Darren Kirkman had nowhere to go. He ended up playing football at Oregon State. Uh, really great kid. Got him to junior college and then Oregon State. Galen Cribs, a couple other guys. And people say, you have those guys in your basement? I'm like, the toughest guys in the block live with me. Break in down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was hoping someone would break in. So, uh, so that later on became the homeschool, right? But uh, I was thankful to have the space to do it, right? and have them, people, almost everybody did really on there. Bob, can you tell me about, so you're, you're running this league and then, then you start Chicago Hope. So it was just baseball, it was working, it was connected. We did one in East Harlem, New York, phenomenal. So I did that a year where I wasn't doing near North. Bunch of guys from the Board of Trade, great. Come, the camaraderie of Bill, this is really cool. So um, a couple of them got killed 9-11, other coaches. And so, uh, but it's not the baseball, it's just community. People are grilling out, coming around. I mean, you go over to Al Hope Field at Alcale Park, go this Saturday. There'll be Spanish, white, black people all grilling out together, hanging out. It's just really cool, right? And it's healthy, good stuff. Like the inner seat, they need a dose of normal, just normal stuff. And so... We're not saving anybody. We just, it just seemed natural to do it. I, I grew up in the Bayonne Little League, which is incredibly organized. You can look at my batting average from 45 years ago, 50 years ago, right? So, but it was very organized. And so I kind of modeled it on that and uh, playoffs and this and that. But it was, I still have friends from that. Like, that's crazy, right? So Columbia University football and rugby guys give big to hope, right? So Bob Kraft, the Patriots owner, played for Columbia. Um, but he, he's not a hope donor, but a lot of the guys are. Yeah, he's not yet. Not yet. We'll get him. Yeah. I hope you're listening, Bob. <laughs> so uh, it's, and Obama, we don't get anything from him over that. Obama's Columbia. So I think that the relationships built through sport were big. And uh, we've been thinking about a, high, a school for a long time. Everybody wants to do a great school for the, because the kids are adorable, right? Uh, high school, they can hit you back, right? 
Big kids, big problems. So we started right out of the gate, high school with sports and all that. This is all Jesus, absolutely no business doing this. We home, my wife is a foreign currency trader, but she homeschooled after after that we had our second, before we had our second. And so, you know, she we knew about school and education and how to do that. And, and we thought, uh, not to be arrogant, we thought we could do it better than what we were seeing out there in the public schools. So when the local school opened, we bought it. Yeah, when I just sold a business to National Financial Park and I had the downstroke of 750. And that's the money that bought the school. So I kept half, paid off my mom's house, put money away for college, and then the other half bought hope. Because that's if you love your neighbors, I figured they get half, I get half, right? The ten percent, the tie. So if you make a million, you keep nine hundred. And then you're like, you're a superhero then, right? Yeah. You're big, you so I don't know. So we did that, and then the company went public. So the other half, which was going to be for me, I'm like, great. It comes out, National Financial Partners, this is 15 years ago. So it comes out at 20, goes to 60, and we were locked up. So I'm set for life. Morning. By the time we were allowed to sell, it was at five. <laughs> so almost all that money I thought was going to be mine was not there. So if you want to make God laugh, tell me your big plan. <laughs> so, but that, but hope, that's how hope happened. So, um, and, uh, and then a lot of other guys kicked in big, some very successful, generous guys. And, and they came. If you come to Hope, you're toast. If you come to Chicago, if you visit with the kids, you're giving money, right? You're going to help out. You're going to give at least go away money. We call it go away. If a guy worth $50 million gives you 10 grand, it's like go away money. Well, <laughs> hey, you know? So, no, and, so yeah, and everybody has to do it. But we had no business. Logically, this is all about being a Christ follower. And we're not, I'm not all that, trust me. But they, I just think more people should be doing stuff like that with means, right? If you have the gift of giving, you should, you should, it's helpful if you have the gift of getting, right? And um, we just need to be more involved. If you're from Chicago, how, this, you could do something about this. You know, you're not going to eliminate the murder. Daily had it down to like, I think 450, something like that. And now it's almost double. And, and a lot of that's to do with the complete now disrespect of the police because of some things that have happened, it's because of one or two bad guys, right? And I'm not saying there's not more than that bad guys, but they're mostly great people, right? And have bailed us a bunch of times where things were close, right? So, you know, I'm bullish on like Chicago Police, the imperfect Chicago Police Department, imperfect Chicago Hope, but I, I ran the marathon with a blind runner, Achilles Track Club in New York, and my wife ran with a girl with CP. Um, Dick Trom, he started the Achilles Track Club. Now there's thousands of them, and he was the first above the knee amputee to finish the marathon. And there was a famous guy who ran across Canada who passed away from cancer or something. And he said, uh, he looked at the hospital when he had lost his leg to cancer, and he looked at all the people and he said, somebody has to do something. I get choked up thinking about it. Somebody has to do something. Not move away from it, I don't think. And that's what hope does. What's remarkable is that Chicago Hope's largely inner-city students, of which 96% are of color and many without fathers, have a 100% graduation rate and 80% go to college. Just down the street is Manly High School, which can hold 3,000 students, but only 81 attended there in 2021. And of those, only 21 will graduate. Same kids, same neighborhood, very different outcomes. I asked Bob about some of his favorite success stories. Elliot Johnson was our quarterback, and he's a 
We have a school play called The Gathering that my wife kind of spearheads. It's the last hour of the Last Supper, the disciples in tuxedos roasting Jesus. It's really cool. <laughs> and Elliot Johnson was Peter. He's a big baritone, you know, 6'2", two, two, and he's now has some roles on Broadway in New York City, and he credits The Gathering to that. It was a funny story I just read. And, and a lot of it, because hope is a, you know, we hope is a movement, not just a school. So we really... You know, we have that, instead of uh, prom, we go to Mexico. Although this year, because of COVID, they had a prom. But usually we, we go to YWAM in Mexico, first flight for most kids, fly to San Diego and build houses with this incredible homes for hope there. It's great. They've done a thousand houses. You build them in three days. So they do that. They have a meaningful experience. So you see real poor people without electricity <laughs> and running water. And um, that, we don't, uh, other, we don't have locks in our lockers because we just don't steal. Why would you? waste all your time doing that with your, screwing your locker back and forth right so just leave it open no one's going to steal if you need something we'll get it for you right so and inevitably some freshmen steal but you know we, we we get over it so a lot of little things like that the scriptures on the wall so which cost us the charter school money we couldn't we had to take all that down if we were going to take charter school money. Can you tell me that story? Oh, it's under Mayor Daly, who I loved, right? He and Arnie Duncan. We So we were approved to become a charter school. We're the only ones to ever turn that down, right? So 8000 a year per kid. So the I remember the women came in with a little chalkboard. What, what you got to change, right? You walk in the door, it says, you know, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. Like, What's so bad about that? So all that, they're just taking notes. That's got to come down. You can't have chapel during the day. You could have it after school. You can't pray with the kids during the day. So the parents, at this point, almost all African-American, unanimously turned the money down. And um, it was a tearjerker in the chapel. So I'm like Jerry Maguire to myself, right? Show me the money, uh, <laughs> right? So, but right after that, some monster checks came in. So it was just, I think it was God just saying you did the right thing. What do you credit the success of, of Chicago Hope Academy to? Because, you know, you're taking a vast majority low income. Yeah, uh, 90, 90, 90%. Uh, yeah. yeah, so 90-some percent of people uh, are low income. Right. And on paper, you'd say, hey, this is going to struggle. But Chicago Hope has done uh, a job of, of giving people opportunities and creating wonderful opportunities for that. What do you yeah. credit that to? Well, I think it's prayer, right, and, uh, and intense about Jesus. I, when I – so – We've been talking, thinking we homeschool K to eight, right? Because we were running the little league, doing a lot of, I had a farm in Southern Illinois, it was a drug and alcohol race. So we had a lot of stuff going on. We needed to be mobile. So uh, my wife did a bang up job at that. So um, and the homeschool commercial was like, it takes about two or three hours because half a school is spent lining up. And Chicago Hope will flow a little bit like a homeschool where there's one-on-one attention if somebody needs more help with this or with that. So um, I would say prayer and fasting because some of the things that have happened are unbelievable. I mean, how did that, did that happen, right? So um, Michael Jordan's trainer builds the nicest gym in Chicago across the street from our field, thinking we're getting the Olympics, I don't know, 14 years ago, and ends up going bankrupt, loses the place, and we get it out of foreclosure. So Chicago hopes athletic facilities are over the top. I mean, I tell people that, and I go, yeah, how nice could it be over there? Have you been to the East Bank Club? It's as nice as that. Our locker room is way nicer than the East Bank Club because Grover built it for the NBA guys. So I, across the street from our field in the hood, like, what the, what? You build that and when that goes out, right? Or <laughs> Barrington. So a lot of things like that have happened because our whole mantra is let's make it good here. They've been telling kids in the city forever, son, if you make it, you can get out. Well, 
the good guys got out. <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> we want to make it good right here, so you come back. I was just with Lafayette McGarry, Hope grad, played for Carthage, got his master's at Carthage. He's our athletic director, right? And a couple of people are teaching. Scout, the Notre Dame girl, is a missions director. Ike, who's from Isaiah 58, um, is the new principal and principal president. And then we have a couple other alum teaching at Hope. So that's when it's going to be. One of my heroes, Wayne Gordon, Londo Community Church, said this. Your kids need to know that they're the most important kid to you, but not the only important kid. And they need to know there's part of something bigger than themselves. So you can't just be all about them, right? Let them fall, right? Let them fall, fall and cut their knee. <laughs> you know, it can't. And I think everybody's, it's just been, and it's been every man for himself. And I don't think this is new in the world, right? Everybody take, and you're supposed to take care of your own, but not, if you have some resources, you know, loading up with the third home, right? The $4 million vacation house. I mean, if you're not a believer, have at it, right? But if you believe, like you can't, do that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and again, I'm not judging. There's some great people. It's great to make money. Uh, Father William Wilson, one of my mentors, said this to me. There's three things you could be in life. Passionate about doing your ministry, passionate about funding the ministry, or disobedient. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, and if you have the gift of giving, it helps to have the gift of getting, because we have some big uh, supporters, right, who become, become generous, right? And if you go there, if you go out to Hope, Mike Kaiser said this to me, that he built Band and Dunes. Unbelievable, great guy. He drives like a 10-year-old car. Humble, wonderful man. And he's come out a few times. He goes, you know what I like about this? Oh, if I if I don't even announce I'm coming out here, there's always 10 things going on, right? It's not like I, you're prepping for me, right? And I think that's the only thing you can't do is nothing, right? And so after school, it's bustling, right? And we have we go to camp. The week before school starts, the whole school starts there, and you pick your sport. And if in the fall, football's fun. Not everyone wants to do that. Soccer's fun. Everyone who wants to run cross country, it's you could play those two or here run seven miles. So we get a bunch of soccer and football players that normally would. So and we've been good at that too, cross country and uh, just getting the kids out there. We just started rowing. We're talking about that, a woman. We have a woman actually. Somebody funded for her to do that. I don't, I've never done it, <laughs> but we have those erg machines, and so. But, but to be fair, we got to start and have our own culture and make our own. So I didn't inherit another school. We got to create it. Where do you, can you, can you talk a little bit about that culture? Cause like, it's, it's fascinating with you say, so you say, yeah, we don't have locks on our, on our lockers, Yeah. but that doesn't just happen organically. It's not like you can just go to a lot of schools and say, we're, we're taking the locks yeah, yeah, off. Not an existing, yeah, the people who got robbed would really get mad. So, but, and that's happened, right? And then I, in, in, in the early years, I had to pay for it so that you could only steal from me. So I'd be up there with the mom and the kid. It's, you know, he, he lost, he's, somebody stole his iPad. And not only did you steal, but you're stealing from other poor people. Like, what, what's going on? And often we got it back, and sometimes we did. And so, so but, and, and just to be, I wanted to, in the early years, I think it was the third year of the school, I had to borrow all my life insurance cash value to make payroll. So it wasn't like things were going great out of the gate, you know? And so um, somebody burnt the ships like the original people. Well, usually when something goes, for a long time in the beginning of it, whether it's Schultz at Starbucks, Mother Teresa at the Sisters of Charity, I don't want to compare to that, but or uh, Holy Trinity, some of the priests 60 years ago, whenever, dug in, the people at Cristo Rey, and hope somebody burned the ships at the beginning of it and said, we're doing this no matter what, right? And uh, I, had President, I went to college with President Obama. I was a couple years older than him, and he uh, 
the day before the Romney election, the Sunday before, the, so two days before, the Secret Service called my house and said that the president wants to play basketball at Hope for good luck. And I hadn't seen him. We helped with his Senate campaign. I remember he was running for us, uh, maybe Congress when he lost it. And we had like 20 Columbia guys and a keg of beer at the Allegro Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he, Bobby Rush, he got slaughtered. Obama got slaughtered. So, uh, but he, rem he remembered that we did good things. So uh, he came, Arnie Duncan played, Scotty Pippen was there, some of the bowls. I mean, he was at the gym for two hours. So, um, And he said, what's your secret sauce, Bob, to having a great inner city school? And I said, Barry, if you want to fix an inner city school, put your own kids in it. That went over big. <laughs> so, you know, Jimmy Carter did that. Amy Carter walked to the all black school from the White House for four years because Carter thought that his kid, he's a public servant and his kids should go to public school. He's actually a great guy. Well, he had a tough time as president, <laughs> but good, a wonderful Christian man. But I think on that point, but you've, you've obviously been diligent with building a culture. What are those aspects of the culture that you've built around Chicago Hope? Yeah, I would give credit to, to continuing credit to that to my son Ike and uh, the alumni who are working there and the people. And some of our new board members are fantastic. Brian Sir, Guggenheim retired. He's a great, talented, bright guy. And so just trying to keep that, you know. Bob mentioned his son Ike, who's taken his place in leading the school. And his daughter Scout is the admissions director, which is pretty darn cool. So what a lot of people say, well, the really bad public school kids wouldn't even know to put, no, we have some of those really bad kids, right? You know, we don't want to have just good kids. We want some, they're already good. We want to have some bad kids and make them good, right? Although, you know, so, um, you know, it's always controversial. And we're, we're, we're near the, about a, not even a hundred yards, the front gate of the gym from the second biggest homeless shelter in Chicago. The Franciscan House, they sleep about 280 people, 365 nights a year. So around the gym are a lot of homeless people. And so people are very, well, well, kids come in, like, we're a Christian school, so we don't want to be near homeless people. Like, move to Wheaton, man. <laughs> Playing a safe for Jesus. <laughs> right? You're not supposed to play it safe. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, so we're real holistic in the neighborhood. People do a lot. We do a, the kids are doing. I, I'm amazed. I don't even know what's going on, right? Because I'm not there anymore, all regularly. So, what worries me now are the non-neighbors. Because the neighborhood where Hope is now has gotten pretty good, right? Where the new school is is still really rough, eight block different. Chicago Hope is building a brand new high school, with new programs to provide training for the skilled trades, and a 1,300 seat stadium among other facilities to accommodate their growth and have a world class complex right there in the inner city. The whole thing is a $37 million project, and their old neighborhood has improved so much that it's getting a little weird. You know, the people with their little dog and, the, you know, just want to cop on every corner for their safety. They're even, they're almost scarier, right? They, they, I, one of them said, African-American doctor said, there's a bad element out on that little league field. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> their kid's making a lot of noise. Uh, it's Saturday. You know, they walk down the street. So what a, if you don't, that's time to move to Winnetka, man. Oh. So, and I think that that every man for himself thing is what's hurting us as a country. Man, you have great stories. Should have had that coffee, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right with this, man? Bob was talking to one of our producers, Duan, who grew up not far from Hope and played games there. 
We what? With Nate. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I, I right. wanted, a question that I have for you is um, you talked about like how the neighborhood in Chicago hope has changed. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 27, so right. I was I, I remember what the neighborhood looked like before Chicago hope. Yeah. And how it's grown now, and I, and I feel like Chicago hope has had a big impact on that. How does that make you feel as someone who? Um, yeah, I think that? that's good. Like the park, we built a park on the corner on Medical District property, and they tried to take it back. Oh, that's a great story. Mm-hmm. Mayor Dale, you had a, I think you had a stroke this week. So um, we're, and he came to every opening day and throughout the pitch from Cabrini to here. And his secretary said, that's the only thing he asked about. When is it? Because <laughs> he gets, he has, does like three or four things every Saturday when he's mayor. And he hangs out. No one's protesting, right? They don't care if he threw a great pitch and he's eating a hot dog and having fun. And I, so in the medical district, we built this beautiful park. It was on their website. The park Livingston founded the medical district. His son, David took it over, and then Tom Livingston was the head of it. Organized, and they even had domain thousands of Italian people, and there's a bitter feeling over in Little Italy. That's now UIC. So we built this beautiful park. We didn't ask anyone's permission. It was our medical district. We just leveled it, sort of put it up. And next thing you know, we invite Jesse White's out with the tumblers, the mayor, and the medical district people are like, holy shoot. So they had so much space they haven't sold. They've been talking, they have hundreds of acres. They don't know. So many years later, guy Sam Pruitt says, we gotta, we gotta shut down the park. There's gonna be a, uh, something else built on it. They got unbelievable acreage all around it. So Freedom of Information, that we found out that the guy who was on their board was also head of this other thing that was gonna be built on the park, and was, so they didn't do it. So they were gonna knock down the backstops. It got this close, and we called Daly. So medical district, but it's in Chicago, and he put a squad car at the gate and flipped the medical district off. <laughs> and, so, and, then, and so they exchanged that field, they swapped it for something, and we got the park. And it's gorgeous now, AstroTurf. So that was like good, took a Christian school. I don't think you're supposed to do that. So that's like good corruption, <laughs> courtesy of Richard Dale. It's wild how many of these stories you hear as far as like, you, you almost had to be connected to fight for these kids that are playing, yeah. are playing, they were playing over at UIC and uh, the officials at UIC are like, you guys got to get off here. Yeah. Yeah, Nobody's coming to play. They called like Tom Cross to go do a political yeah. favor to let kids yeah. play on a baseball That's field. That's empty. Yeah. Oh, someone might. What if something happens? What if something happens? We're getting gunned down in the street. Like, we're going to get shot in a. What? What? What if some, everyone's playing defense? We don't want to play night games. Chicago public schools don't play night football games. You play at a neutral site. One game's a 10, one, four, and seven. So there's no home game because they're afraid of the gangs. Like, when do we back off on that? Bring 25 fathers out there. Now when Hope scores, the siren goes, the cops. <laughs> so, yeah, so we do have cops around, right? And we have our, the, the guys from the drug rehab are all, or they park all the cars and do all that. Kind of, so we're just pretty creative like that. Uh, from Lundell Community Church, the Hope House, right? And they love it. They get out of the, they get out of the rehab for the night. But, you know, Friday night football is like, Americana, black, white, I don't care. But to not have it because you're afraid of the punks. So I, I just think we backed off on a lot of stuff out of fear. And you know what, though, it's going to take? A lot of people can't watch TV on Friday night because it's going to cost you setting up the hot The mom setting up the hot dogs. You know, it's going to cost you six hours of not sitting on your butt, on your couch, eating potato chips and watching TV. That's what, so live stuff is that, you know, the internet thing and the Facebook. Facebook, Zuckerberg, I love to get a hold of him, man. 
He created the biggest waste of time in the history of the human race, Facebook. And I don't care if you get, you get to see your grandkids on it. It ain't worth it because that's involved. I don't know if you knew it's involved in a lot of these murders. So last year, you remember this McDonald's shooting uh, guy during the daytime is with his daughter in his car online getting McDonald's takeout in the car. And he 30 bullets wound him, kill his little girl. Everybody's up. Shortly before that, he and his friends had killed one of their guys and took, put on Facebook a picture of them urinating on the dead guy's grave. So at that point, they didn't care if your daughter's in the car, right? So, and now it's all revenge. If you made every drug legal, it wouldn't stop any of the shootings. And to be fair, if somebody shot my kid, I don't know if I'd let it go. I'd like to think I could let it go, but I don't know if I'm letting it go. So that's what it is right now. And the firepower is horrible. Of course, we got to get rid of the guns, but you know, I asked the cops, how many times were there ever, did you ever see a shooting with a, with a legal handgun? Never, he said no. So, so and that, and the good people have them. I don't, but I got friends, my African-American friends got 10, right? But my successful, they got, they're loaded up, right? So I, I don't, I think, I wish there never were guns, but there are. And I think no matter how strict the laws are, the vice lords and the GDs aren't gonna obey that law. They're not giving up their gun. And I wish it were the old days, like the thing with Laquan McDonald. He's got a knife, he's punctured the cop's tires, he's walking towards the Dunkin' Donuts with it, and the lunatic cop, who's justifiably in prison, shoots him at 15th or whatever. Well, you know, why didn't, you got 10 cops here, just bum rush the guy, just tackle him, right? So the, the police, the badass cops are the, are the undercover guys. They're the Navy SEALs of the police department, because we're around a lot of pizzerias and they're always eating there and they're jacked, right? So these guys are in the gym. And one of them, were, there was a shooting in Austin. Kid was killed at the barbecue. They had a sighting of the guy with the red or whatever running down and they, they were coming in undercover from this way in a car and this way and they got a call to stand down that the neighborhood's too hot uh, racially and everything. The guy just killed a kid. By accident, he was shooting him, but he killed a kid. And, they, and the, the cops had to stand down. So if the mother of that kid, when, they, when somebody shot, who do they call? Like a social, now it's like, let's have more social workers. <laughs> great, that's great. When a kid's saying, get my Glock, get a social worker, that's a good idea. So it's horrible, you shouldn't even need police, but we do. And that's where it is, and they need to be, not to be, they're embarrassing now, you know I mean? The people don't even respect a lot of the, a lot of people don't even respect the cops because the press is always saying how bad they are. You know, since, George Floyd, horrible thing. You know the guy bounced with the guy who killed George Floyd bounced with him in a bar. I don't know if you knew that. They they bounced in a bar together, secured. So and he had arrested him before. So and I'm a condoning that cop should do 25, whatever he gets to kneel on a guy's neck. Even if he swallowed a bunch of fentanyl, doesn't matter. Get off the guy. But what does that have to do with us down here? Really? The cops are involved in like one percent of the shootings in Chicago. What about all of us? What about all the stuff we're doing? I'm not condoning it. I think just like any other citizen, a cop has to do go to prison if he kills somebody unnecessarily. But you know, most of the half of the time, like they're defending, they're not involved in that many shootings. It just makes the front page for years, right? And the carnage. What read the Chicago trip this weekend? There'll be something about that. A cop did something five years ago, right? And then you know, twenty people were shot and five dead over the weekend. It's on page eight. Right? Why is that? So we have seen the enemy and it is ourselves.
I don't know. That's right. I forget where that's from, but it sounds really good. (laughs) (laughs) So hope next generation has taken over. It's good because, um, you know, the thing has to continue, right? It's uh, and so many Catholic schools have shut, and it's so tragic, right? When you bought Chicago Hope, did the Catholic school just shut down, and then you bought it right afterwards, or was there a, a stairwell had sagged, and so the fire department pulled everyone out? So it looked like the rapture when we went. All the books were still open on the desk, and they moved the kids, the children, a piece. About two hundred K through eight. I played basketball in a gym. Mike Clark used to be the AD there. Arnie Duncan used to play in a little band box gym, St. Callistus. And so I went, I'm trying to find the, uh, Jim Legault was the first non-priest head of the archdiocese, and I couldn't get a hold of him. So I asked his assistant, when does he come in? This is like from being in sales. It's 8.30. I'm at, I have two Starbucks in my hand at 8.30 in front of his office. As he's walking in the building, he's not going to get away from me. And we bought it for $1,950,000. And I think it was worth more than that. So um, we were the first ones they sold to. And they liked because we were like-minded. We had a lot of good references and all that. But we had no starting a high school for poor. In Christian world, they can't figure it out. Uh, great guy, Gene Frost, really saved Wheaton Academy financially. That place is booming, right? And he came and spent a half day at Hope. Love what we're trying to do. And he said, Bob, I love what you're doing, but it's unsustainable. If you don't charge what it costs, it just can't. You have to, and that's the big mantra in independence, charge what it costs. Well, then I would have five kids in school. <laughs> so, okay, so wait a minute. Your kids could pay 18000 a year because they're wealthy, and my kids can't. So you're sustainable, and we're not. Like, tell me something I don't know, right? So should Christian schools or any independent schools be only for rich kids? I'm asking you that. No. Should they be racially segregated? No. Well, they are. <laughs> they are. If you look at them, they are. You go to some school and they, you see their brochure and there's some black kids in it. You go there and you can't find them. <laughs> there's only five. <laughs> One can dunk, run one's a four or five. So, I mean, that's just the way it is, right? Less so, right? You see, because more, there's more and more successful African-American people putting their kids in private school. But following Jesus is not in that equation, which is what everybody's main reason for doing it is, right? Because you want to be able to preach the gospel. People say, are you going to proselytize to the kids? No, I'm just going to let the Latin kings and the vice lords do that. And friends. Have you ever seen that whole, I've never seen the whole program, but it's on a lot. You know, stuff like that. Like the sitcom, I mean, are you kidding me? Seinfeld? You know, pretty big waste of time. All that stuff, right? That's just, that's proselytizing. What you see on TV and everything like that. Hope's proselytizing of making life great in the inner city was given a significant boost by the Tax Credit Scholarship Program, which allows Illinoisans to donate to scholarship programs and receive a tax credit for their donation. Low-income students who attend independent schools like Hope or want to escape a failing school and to come to a great place like Hope are the beneficiaries of these scholarships. And at the Illinois Policy Institute, we're proud to have done a lot of work to help pass this life-changing program into law. So I couldn't wait to ask Bob about it. Can you talk to me about uh, the tax credit scholarship and the role that that has played in Chicago Hope Academy? So Bruce Rauner and the staff instituted this Illinois tax credit where if you are an Illinois citizen and you pay state income tax, you can steer that money to an independent school who has poor kids. It's not going to rich kids. It's not going to private schools. Private reeks of elitism, independent schools, and there's a lot of, there's 
independent schools better let poor kids, even like Latin, they might have some low, they have some low income kids in their high jump program. So, but you can't give it. And if you make, actually, if you have three kids, you could make like up to 75 grand. So it's, that's a middle-class family. So they're trying to, if, if you choose to go to a faith-based school and you're a citizen, you should be able to go, right? So the money follows the kid, which is the whole choice mantra. So, but we have to go find the people. It just doesn't happen, right? And then most of them can't believe it. There's no way I can steer my state income tax money to an And they're trying to, and we explain it to them. We have a woman who does it, Tracy Melcher. She's a retired naval helicopter pilot. And if she sits down with you, you're going to do it. <laughs> so uh, in her fit, she's just, just down, loving what we're doing after retiring from the Navy. So you fill out a form. It's a little cumbersome online. And then you get paper mail your form. Then you have to send, you could send it in or send the money any way you want to a third party, right? Which, and these are someone that hope that we know, right? And you have to front the check. Right. So if you made a million dollars, you could send 50,000 to Chicago Hope that you would be sending to Madigan and company, formerly Madigan and company. Right. And you get a 75 percent tax credit out on April 15th. You get the credit. So and it works. I've done it every year. So it does actually work. And that's not that cumbersome really to do. And so you're basically steering your ta state tax income tax money to education for poor kids. So, and the unions will say, oh, wow, it's going to kids at Latin. No, no, no. Wait a minute. It's not, right? It's going to blow it. You, you can't because they've got to show their tax return and everything like that. And it's like perfect for us. We picked up $1.7 off it last year because, which is like way more than the first year. We had a couple big people do big checks. And, and shockingly, the unions uh, want this to go away. Yeah, but when we went down there, the school went down and the whole school went on busting and they, a lot of the state reps were saying they get calls from the union. How could I talk you out of this? It's not anti-union. It's just the money following the kid. And it's less money than they're getting anyway. Well, it's, it's even less about money following the kid because for the most part, these public schools are going to get the same amount of money. Oh, what this yeah. is, is oh, yeah, it's local philanthropy giving money a tax deduction yeah. so that you can send yeah. you know, yeah. kids to Chicago. Yeah, so it's great. It's sun it has a sunset thing that was just extended a year. Is that right? That's right. That's right. But it needs to stay on. Right. We need to make it permanent. Yeah. Now, if you have, you know, you, you're going to have, I don't know how many are now, I think 20,000 or 25,000 kids, and it's going to double. So, and they're marching on Springfield, and they're mostly African-American, Latino. Uh, they're not going to take that away. It'd be horrific for them to do that. I always find it fascinating, to your point on, uh, if you're wealthy, you have school choice. Yeah. But if you're poor... poor we say, no, that's yeah. not that's not good enough for you. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't yeah. have an option on where yeah. your kid goes to school. Yeah, and it was easy in the old days with Catholic schools, particularly because in the urban area they were the biggest version of independent schools because they didn't have to pay the nuns. And that's, right. that's right. They that's were right. working for free. That's right. Which is like people you see those comedies bashing. Like are you kidding? These are mostly holy, wonderful. They work forty years for for. Right. I went to Maris High School, New Jersey. Maris Brothers. Be a Maris brother for thirty years for free. Right. You see it at Notre Dame. Right. So really. So it didn't cost anything. School didn't cost that much. But now we pay our teachers. We don't have any clerics less than the public school teachers get, but still but good 401k with a match, great insurance. And so um, and, you know, we have chapel and a teacher might pause before his class and say a little prayer. So like, how bad is that? <laughs> like with what's going on? 
So Bob, the, the name of this uh, podcast is Stay and Fight. So we interview people who have built great things in Illinois, but have decided to stay and fight for the future. Why do you stay and fight? Um, I, I just think we're need, that's where we're needed, right? It's tempting, you know, I go to Naples. Did you see the Truman? It's called the Chicago Riviera. I don't know. Did you see the Truman Show with Jim Carrey, the fake yeah, city? Yeah, I, It's like that. It, it is. So I want to, it's so perfect. I want to just poke a hole <laughs> and like the dolphins are swimming in sync on the beach for you. I'm serious. And so that, I'm like, Damn, maybe I could do that. And then by the third day, I'm like, there's nobody here I can help. <laughs> so I think in Illinois, logically, we have some board members that have moved to Texas and Florida. So they're there half of 360, 180, six day, whatever it takes to. And that's for state income tax reasons and state estate tax reasons. If you're worth 4 million and you die, anything over that is taxed at 16%. Did you know in Illinois, plus 40 federal, so 56% tax bracket figure if you're a rich guy. But is that why you move? Like, is that the most important thing your taxes? Because now if you're just doing the math, it's move. Right. And the violence in our state, like I want, I don't mind playing, paying taxes if it's used right for the cops, for the fire, for armies, for, you know, for the social work that's needed. But the hand of people's that's not. So I think that if the greatest commandment is love God, love your neighbor yourself, then you're supposed to love your neighbor. And, I, I you know, I spoke at Wheaton College. I don't get asked back. And, and my daughter graduated. That's a great place. And. I was talking about this topic and I said, you know, they tell you when you graduate, graduate from college, get a great job, get a great wife, move to a great neighborhood. And I say, you're three for four there, right? Graduate, get a great job, get a great spouse, move to a bad neighbor. Because if it's a good neighbor, it doesn't need you. What an example for the rest of us. A servant leader to the core and a warrior for Illinois. If you want to support Bob's school, go to chicagohopeacademy.org. And if you like this episode, share with your friends and subscribe so you don't miss out on the next one. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Stay and Fight.